I'm Charles Coblin, and you're listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. My guest, Bridget Law, describes herself on her Instagram page as fiddler, mother, daughter, wife, stepmama, friend, yogi, music maker, mystic, and believer. Well, I think I used to have Nomad on there. <laughs> and I no longer have Nomad on there, obviously intentionally. But yeah, um, I, I am somebody who has devoted my life to adventure and music and making the world a better place. And, um, I've just, I'm, you know, I've, I've been willing to go to great lengths to encourage all of those things to grow in my life. And, um, yeah, that's led me on quite an epic journey, especially until, you know, a a very, they covered a lot of ground, a lot of, I saw a lot of the planet, um, in the first you know, uh, decade and change of my career. And, um, and then I made a choice, uh, kind of really when things were really picking up. I, I mean, I think elephant revival did really well, but we were doing really well. And I, I made a choice, um, to, uh, slow down and, and have a home, a home-based life. So I think I'm also the kind of person who's willing to, um, take big risks in order to cultivate happiness and and peace in my life um and accomplish my dreams so maybe in a nutshell (laughs) so uh you say no nomad is gone because of covid and that nomad is no nomad is gone because of motherhood But you just told me before we got started, you're going back on the road. So no, oh, uh, well, for a week, but that's okay. hardly nomadic. I mean, I was, I literally didn't have my own home for many, many years in my life because I spent all my time on the road. So I have a home now and I'm a, um, yeah, I would no longer call myself a nomad. Now you mentioned seeing a lot of the planet. Um, I know you're from Colorado, born, raised uh, there. Um, can you talk about your involvement in the music and sustainability communities there? In Colorado? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in Northern Colorado, I guess is is specifically where you spend a lot of your time. Yeah, yeah. I live just I live between Boulder and Fort Collins. Um, so Northern Colorado for sure. You know, uh, most of my involvement with sustainability and, and nonprofits and the way that I've gotten involved, um, at least where I've offered my music to be uh, helpful, um, especially is with the anti-fracking, or I should say the fracking resistance movement. Uh, it's a pretty big deal out here right now because they're pretty much fracking in our backyards. Um so I, I would say first and foremost on that list, I'm a big proponent for um, renewable energy and, and renewable resources and trying to figure out how to make that switch in our society. So if somebody calls me from one of those, um, you know, one of those organizations uh, that are, are working in that direction, working to move things in that direction, I will gladly you know, try to put together a, a small ensemble and go and, and make their event more exciting and stuff like that. That's definitely something I care a lot about. 
we're such a polarized society now. How goes the fight these days? You know, COVID really kind of got everybody really quiet. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, I don't really know. It seems like there's movement in that direction, um, but I'm not really sure. And, and as far as polarization, you know, it's really true out here because there's so many people who make their living off oil and gas. And so it just really hits home to make a big change like that. Um, but that's where I just, I just get back to the point of like, well, when it comes to the word renewable resources, you know, working more in synergy with our planet, there's bound to be a way that those people will be taken care of beyond this big, just this step. And I understand that it's a step. So, but yeah, I'm, um, as far as the polarization, you know, uh, I don't pick up on it as much at this moment because we're all kind of quiet. Um, it's, it's definitely, it definitely gets really intense around here when there's a, a ballot initiative or anything like that going on. Um, you're so in touch with nature and you've seen so much of the world. Is there a particular moment that, uh, is memorable in terms of your like relationship to a public land? Um, well, the one that just popped up to my, in my mind was, um, maybe because I'm headed to steamboat next week, but it was, uh, it was at a hot springs at, a, at steamboat and at strawberry park, hot springs and steamboat. And I was really weary and tired. My body was just aching. I'd been on the road a lot and playing shows in the cold and, you know, just like, um, long, long days of playing the violin, which is so hard on your body. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was in one of the hot pools and leaning up against a rock and I found a way to wedge myself into the rocks. And I felt like the rocks were holding me. Like I felt like they were, I, it felt like an intimate embrace with these rocks. And I stayed there as long as I could. And I felt them nourishing me and, and helping me heal significantly um not just you know oh i think this is helping it was like it was like i was i went to the motherland and i went deep into her arms and and um came out soothed so that's the moment that's coming to mind for me that's pretty cool that's a great experience and now you're a new mom yourself so it's yeah. kind of come full circle right yeah there was there i didn't really realize i wanted to be a mom in my life i wasn't one of those kids who always said that I wanted children it just sort of my life just sort of funneled in that direction um at just about the right time and um but yeah I I was I was made for it <laughs> for sure I I know where those parts of my my femininity are in my personality and so you mentioned the fiddle and mm -hmm. uh how hard it is to play and I'm curious the, the physical demands all and and I'm also wondering you if I'm right about this you started playing in the third grade how does somebody come to the fiddle and then make it a very big part of their life <laughs> well behind every good player is a good teacher right <laughs> um, when I was in the third grade I went to the Waldorf school and in the third grade of the Waldorf school they um, hand you a string instrument. So you choose between violin and cello. And I had actually been having, you know, what I now understand as uh, psychic signs telling me that I should play the violin. And, but I just never even questioned. I just like, I'm, a, I'm playing the violin, you know, it was just done. <laughs> um, 
But like, for example, I was given a spiritual name by a meditation group called, and it was Vina. And when I was, I was learning how to read. And so any word that sounded like violin felt like violin, you know, so that was kind of wild. So the teacher at that school was this incredibly charismatic, um, energetic, gorgeous woman. Uh, and she had a, a Western flair to her, you know, she, that's how she dressed. And, and I thought she was just the bee's knees. I thought she was the coolest thing around. <laughs> I was, I couldn't wait to take her class. And, um, so as soon as my dad understood that I really wanted to play the violin and he trusted me, he gave me private lessons with this woman and she was a fiddle player and she competed in fiddle contests and played fiddle in bands. And that was what she did outside of the school. And so I started competing in fiddle contests and, um, you know, I went on to, to study, um, jazz in college and, and found myself really wanting to play bluegrass. So learning how to transition from the fiddle style I grew up into playing bluegrass. And then I really wanted to learn Celtic music, but I didn't want to learn it like in a pub. So I manifested this incredible opportunity to teach in Scotland. And so I went and taught in Scotland four times in three years and brought back just a pile of, of real traditional Celtic tunes for me to dig into. And um, yeah, so that's how my journey has always been more fiddle, you know, fit, uh, has always been fiddle heavy um, on the instrument. I love the word violin, though, and I love to pretend, you know, but I never really got as into classical. Um, yeah. And is that the, for those, for those string instrument novices, is that the line of demarcation between fiddle and violin? Classical music is viol same physical instrument, but classical music is considered violin. Yes. Yeah. And not just classical music. I mean, I would say, you know, there's, there's, uh, but it's, you know, it is the difference between, you know, a, a concerto and an Irish jig, right? You know, it's like, there's a, the classical violinist, and then there's like the Scottish fiddle player, the Appalachian fiddle player. But then within that, you know, you can take jazz, jazz kind of can go both ways, but you certainly could play jazz violin and play it a lot more jazz violin, or you might want to get kind of deep in the swing of it, and then it kind of feels like a fiddle. But yes, ergonomically, it's the same instrument. Are there uh, influences that you cite when you were first starting out, or even now that you look to as people yeah, that inspire sure. you to yeah. play that instrument? Um, you know, Joe Venuti and Stefan Grappelli are jazz violinists um, that I studied a lot of. Um, there's like fiddle players, probably the best known ones are like Mark O'Connor, but um, I he's 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 cool and I've learned a lot from him. But I prefer like Stuart Duncan. He's kind of like the session guy that you hear out of Nashville all the time. And he's amazing. That teacher I mentioned, um, you know, Sarah Watkins, the fiddle player for Nickel Creek. I've always really appreciated her playing and, um, and kind of found a, a, um, a good reflection for where, what I'm trying to do there. Um, uh, Tim Carbone of Railroad Earth is another one who I connect with as like, okay, that's, he feels the instrument similarly to, to how I feel the instrument. And, um, but ultimately, you know, I think that the path that I've really chosen is to never try to sound too much like anybody but myself. And, um, and that path has led me, you know, to being a, a really kind of my own, my own player, you know, I'm really not copying anybody. I'm really, I'm just really in touch with, 
the notes that need to be played at any given, at any given moment and delivering those notes. I'm, I'm super simple. I like to play simple. I'd rather play simple and soulful than fancy and out of tune anytime. <laughs> so that's what I tend to do. <laughs> well, I wanted to talk to you about the physicality of it because you, you talked about the fact that it does take a lot out of you and that you become one with the instrument. And I'm curious to know if you can put it into words, what that feels like. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, so let me see where to start here. Practicing, playing the violin itself, just to get a sense of that, <clears throat> you know, you'd have to twist your body in, in kind of a bizarre shape. You've got to put something between your neck and your shoulder, which people already hold a ton of t tension in their scalings, but now you're squishing something in there. You're looking, it's like cross-eyed. It's like your whole body being cross-eyed, essentially. It's what, you know, you bow for a long time, and the next thing you know, you've got this horrible crook in your in your shoulder, right? It's kind of, it It really is, um, it's, it's just not, I mean, it's hard on the body. It's just really hard on the body. So, uh, I watched a lot of people in my life suffer from that. Um, my teacher that I mentioned, you know, she suffered from that. I watched a lot of people develop a lot of chronic pain through playing the violin. And that was something I was very concerned about and conscious of. And uh, probably the reason why I don't play classical music. Um, because anytime I did take classical violin classes or violin lessons, they wanted me to practice you know, four hours a day or something. And I'm like, there's just no way I can do that. I can't do that to my body. So instead of practicing my instrument, I like to say that I practiced my body more than my instrument. So while I was on the road, while I was, you know, I would, I, I always have had a yoga practice and a meditation practice. And I've always just worked really hard to be as embodied spiritually and physically as I possibly can. And then I take that and that embodiment and when I'm playing music, especially certain kinds of music, but the, especially the music that I've chosen to like be a part of the original music, like Elephant Revival or Tierra Band, my process is to just drop in and, and be a part of the music. And so in studying the instrument, I, I chose to study more improvisation and different things that allowed me to just really kind of just let loose into the music. Um, and so even when I'm sitting in with people or I'm doing a session, most of it is that it's, it's just kind of hearing the violin that's meant to be in the song and then literally surrendering to that, that sound and getting my mind out of the way, not trying to prove anything as being a fancy violinist or anything that I can do. Or so I spent all these hours practicing this. None of that really comes into play. It's really just about melodically and energetically what sound needs to be present right now in the song, in the music. Um, so you mentioned Elephant Revival, and I know you're currently no longer with Elephant Revival, but if you could just talk about like how it came to be, I love the, the story of how it got its name, yeah. um, your experience, why you decided to stop, just there's a lot of fans that would want to know that. Yeah, and to, to, to make it really clear, I chose to get off the road in 2017, but Elephant Revival is still a huge part of my life. And I, so I am, I am by no means no longer a part of Elephant Revival. That, that is not the case. Elephant Revival is an entity that is a significant part of my life um, and everybody else's life who's involved. But I would say in particular and, and, and cherished as such, um, I, I definitely, uh, out of, you know, the community that is Elephant Revival, I care deeply about that entity and I hope. I hope on on so many levels that that um, there's more to the story. 
Um, it seems that way. I have to say, it seems that way. Cool. And I'll tell you, cool. and I'll, now I'll get into a little bit of like what that is. Um, but yeah, the journey has always been mystical. We've always been connected through a series of serendipitous events. We've been, you know, there's an energetic sensation. There's, I mean, I literally feel like Elephant Revival is a, is a spirit entity that has chosen a few of us to play with. And, and the more we surrender and listen and play along with that entity, regardless of what we think is the, you know, the less we listening to managers and the industry and, you know, our egos and all of that, the less we listen to that. And the more we listen to that spirit entity, the more beautiful the music is and the more unique the path is for that group of people. So that in itself, you know, led us all on a, just an absolutely epic 11 years on the road together. Um, there was eight years with Sage, then Sage left, and then there was four of us who toured, four original members, and we added Charlie Rose and Darren Garvey. So Charlie played um, was a multi-instrumentalist banjo player, and Darren played drums. So that, you know, then we kind of finished out the 11 years. Then after 11 years of, of hard, hard touring, I mean, I'm talking, like I said, I was a nomad. I didn't have a home. So then I had fallen in love and was ready to get married and settle down. And I stepped off the road. And then within a couple of months from me stepping off the road, I would say that there was a couple in the band and that split up and the whole thing kind of just wasn't going to continue at that point. And so... That was at the end of 2017, 2018. In 2018, we did four more shows. And then since then, we closed it out with Red Rocks. They brought me back in to do three out of those four shows, including Red Rocks. We said goodbye to the fans and went on an indefinite hiatus. And that's where we are now. Um, and as anything, you know, it got quiet for a while. Um, and then now conversations are coming up around the business, which is fine. But where I feel the spirit entity, it's this, the entity of Elephant Revival is playing very beautifully in my life right now in such a, in a really special way. And that is that after having my child and going into the pandemic, I think we've all gotten a lot more focused on what's important to us. What's really, truly important to us. Like, what is this? Who are the people that, you know, if we can only hang out with one friend, who's that one friend, you know? And that friend for me is Bonnie. That friend for me is Bonnie Payne. And her and I have a soulmate spirit, deep, deep connection. And we have ever since we were 20 years old and the moment we met. And um, it's been, you know, it's gotten kind of cloudy and loud and weird and different things. But, you know, we were, we've been so immersed in each other's lives that how could it not, right? But after taking some time apart and separating from that, and having a child, you know, she was curious about my child. She was curious about my experience as a mother, you know, um, we, you know, so anyway, through that, our friendship was, had become this focal point of like, wow, I love you, you know? And then we got, somebody approached us about playing as a duo, just the two of us. And we sort of were like, hey, so uh, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and we have this whole nother element of our of our lives together, which is our music together. Maybe we should lean into this and see how it feels. And so we took the gig and we booked the rehearsals and holy moly, we are having so much fun <laughs> playing music together. I mean, it's just so precious. Love, love, love. 
So that's where I'm at right now with Elephant. Is is I don't I don't know what that leads to, but I can tell you that the girls are having a good time. <laughs> Back with more Bridget Law in a minute. Hi, I'm Betsy. And I'm Harrison. We're the co-founders of Sustain Music and Nature. Sustain is a nonprofit that makes music a force for nature. By tapping into the emotional power of music and cultural sway of artists, we engage new audiences with their environment. Check out Sustain Music and Nature on social media to see our public land music videos and learn about upcoming concerts in the great outdoors. You're listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustain Music and Nature. I asked my guest, Bridget Law, about the spiritual sisterhood of music. Femininity in music is just a really powerful thing, whether it exists in the masculine body or not, you know. Um, but what I really think that's been super profound over the last two decades, especially since Bonnie and I have become friends, is watching the transformation of how femininity in music is is held by 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 listeners, by community, by society, by promoters, <laughs> you know, by people have really come around to go, wow, I actually really like when there's a woman on stage, or I really love what those women are doing musically. And maybe it means that we're not, you know, pounding 40s and getting down, but it means that we're going somewhere and it's special, right? And there's something that I've always found, you know, that there, because of all that, that that's, it's taken so long to, for really for society to open their arms to this element um, in music is that when, when just women are on stage, something different happens and, and something different happens everywhere, you know, and, and um, so not to exclude men, because honestly, my favorite way to play in this life is not women only. It's when women and men are jiving in the most beautiful way. That's my favorite. That's what I think the cream of the crop is in life. But I think for a li- that, it, that lifting and boosting and empowering women and women in art right now and having those experiences, the sisterly experiences and having those actually just really just strengthens the whole, that whole side of the yin, right? Of the yin yang, the whole side of the yin. And, um, and so, yeah, I've, I've gone, I've done all sorts of things to encourage uh, women in art, um, all sorts of things. And pr- I did produce Sister Winds Festival one year and I did bring it to Northern Colorado. I brought it to Mishawaka. Um, you know, it's, it's a female owned venue. Um, it's, there was a lot of really, you know, big perks to that. Um, and it was a blast and it was cool. And I haven't continued to do stuff like that, probably because I dove into motherhood. We'll see what, what, um, happens but I, I do um on a regular occasion I, I've organized um an all women bluegrass band at, at the festival Winter Wondergrass and it's called Winter Wonder Women. So I just get kind of an all star band of just badass lady musicians <laughs> and we like, you know, we you know, we rock the spreadsheet for a couple of weeks and then we show up at the festival and we put on a killer show. And um that's kind of I'd I'd love to do more of that because I'm definitely really good at I'm, I'm kind of a maestra, right? I like to like kind of bring in the group and kind of, and again, get, let push everybody forward at the perfect moments. That's, that's kind of my, how I 
do well in the world. Um, so I would, I hope for more opportunities like that in this life. Yeah, that's great. I yeah. mean, that's really great. All right. So let me just go back to Elephant Revival just for a second, because okay. I asked yeah. this before. Yeah. Um, if you could share how you came up with the name, because I love that story. Yeah. And then um, I'm also curious if there were any notable names that stood out. I'm not looking for like backstage gossip. I'm looking like for a positive experience because I know you came into contact with a lot of different people, sure. a lot of different artists when you were sure. doing it. So, yeah. Okay. So um, the name really quick is uh, Dango Rose. The bass player is the one who came up with the name. Um, we were uh, all friends traveling in different parts of the country and kind of scattered about. And that's the, I should um, but and he had been uh, at, in Chicago, heard a story about the elephants at the Lincoln Park Zoo. They had decided to separate these elephants and send um, send them into different zoos. And the elephants didn't survive because they they needed to be together. They had broken hearts. And um, he felt that way about our tribe. He felt he had felt the thread between us all. And so. He booked a bunch of gigs. He called it the Elephant Revival Concept in honor of the elephants that had passed away. And we all started playing gigs together. And it just kind of stuck. And we decided we were more than a concept. So we dropped the concept. And that was the rest was history. Um, cool. Such a cool story. Anyway, yeah. so now, now yeah. the artists that you sort Sorry. of came into contact, if anybody stood out. Well, it's kind of funny because I was thinking somehow like the way you phrased it took me back to this moment, which was very early, early on in this whole thing, which is that we, we had two names at one point. We were either going to be It's Evolving, I-T-Z, Evolving, or Elephant Revival. And arguably, It's Evolving is probably a really a lot better name, a better band name, unless you're from the hills of Colorado where bands like String Cheese Incident and Leftover Salmon have made it big. And then, yeah, okay, then, yeah, Choosing Elephant Revival is not so out of the box. Um, but East Coast, you know, our, It's Evolving was kind of our East Coast name, and then um, and that didn't take. But so we were out in Boston, um, super kids at this point. You know, this is probably 2000 and yeah, I think it was 2006. Um, and we were actually working on it's on the it's evolving recordings in Vermont. And uh, Michael Franti was playing the higher ground and he was doing two nights there. And this very vivacious woman, um, Rita Brown, had brought us out there and was really, you know, she'd fallen in love with Bonnie and she was trying to like make stuff happen for us. And, uh, and so we went to the first night of Michael Franti and we ended up backstage and, you know, just to put it in context, I'm like 21, 20, I'm probably 23. I'm 23 and I'm standing across the room, a, a relatively large room from Michael Franti. And somehow he chose to make, con make eye contact with me, make contact with me. It wasn't flirtatious. He just was sort of like, Hmm. I'm wonder, I wonder why you're here, you know, and he came over to me and I said, and I said, hello. And, and, you know, we just started talking and I said, I, I play the fiddle. And he goes, Oh, he's like, what do you need to plug that thing in? And I'm like, oh, just a DI box. And, um, and he's like, I want you to sit in with me tomorrow night. And it was just like <laughs> totally cool. random. And I don't know why. And I don't know what, what I would love to know what, you know, what was in his mind. 
And I said, cool, my friend over there, she plays the shit out of the washboard. And he was like, okay, well, bring her too. I'm like, all right. So here we are, these like nervous 23-year-old girls showing up the next night, you know, a little bit before the show with our instruments, you know, hi, no, we don't have tickets. Michael asked us to sit in, you know, and I see him like come over to the window and like, you know, nod and and tell the people that, yeah, you know, so we go in there and he teaches us this song that, you know, was really beautiful. It was like a a song it was paying tribute to the janitors the people who clean up after the parties and stuff and but yeah so it just it was just all so trusting and so fluid and then we went out on stage in front of a sold out crowd at the higher ground and and um and he and we sat in and and it was super fun and then at some point he literally broke the whole band down and it was just Bonnie and I and the crowd clapping and just us playing off of each other. And that was really like the first moment that I really got a taste of what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big turning point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, wow. This whole room is like right there with Bonnie and I. And we, you know, we did another opportunity that was very similar to that. We did, it was at the Boston, like a few years later was at the Boston gardens with, dispatch and a whole room of Bruins fans who just right after they won the cup. I mean, it, you know, so we had that, that experience did continue to happen to us in, in different moments. And, and then the recognition of what it feels like to hold energy like that and the recognition of like, Whoa, okay. So that's not nothing. In fact, the next day you, you tend to have a hangover from the energy. It's really powerful. And, um, I don't know. I guess there was just something in Michael that maybe knew I could handle that. I, I've never really understood that. I did end up encountering him in very strange moments throughout, you know, the journey. And I don't really never, I never really could tell if he knew exactly who I was or not or like what. I don't know. But he did do things like he like we were doing acro yoga and he like went in the bus and got his mat and came out and set like literally put it like two feet from Mars, even though we had all this space, you know. It's like he just like he dug our vibe. We were like, cool, yeah. thanks, Brad. There was a connection. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a connection. Yeah. And by the way, I used to work for the NHL, so I know what Bruin fans are like after they win the Stanley Cup. Oh my gosh. And the dispatch guys, they were literally running with, with wireless mics through the throughout the crowd in Bruins jerseys. You know? I was yeah. like in there. Been there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we gotta come to now. We haven't talked okay. about Tierra yet. Oh, you gotta tell us about this because it's yeah. a different role for you and it's part of your life. And... Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so after having this incredible journey, as I've described a lot to you, um, countless, you know, relationships that just couldn't work because I was on the road and and all of that, um, I got hit upside the head so hard and love something I had just never even really imagined. I, I mean, beyond beyond what you think love is supposed to feel like. I mean, when Tierra and I met and came together, it was it was totally not of this world. It was completely cosmic. Um, and it took a while for us to get together, and it took a, it took you know like a solid year of knowing each other and trying to avoid you know getting together until you're like. So he always tells people, he's like, yeah, you, you pretty much get married to someone when you. You really just can't not be with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And, I know that. Yeah, yeah. So that was, you know, that was the experience we had. Um, he had already had a son, so his son was three and a half when I uh, came into the picture. And but you know, really, right off the bat, even even before we were even starting to question how compatible we were in life, it was insanely obvious that we were compatible musically from the moment. I mean, the, the, like. In fact, I think we fell in love in music first, you know, like we were on a little stage. It was the after party for a rise. Our best friends are the lead singer for Canal, which was the band that Tierra was in, had fallen in love with my best friend on the West Coast. And they came to the first Arise to play and they brought me to play. And that's how Tierra and I met. Somehow, Tierra and I had didn't meet before then, which is its own story in itself and kind of bizarre. But we, you know, I was jamming with those friends on a little tiny stage at an at kind of a staff party and Tiro got on stage and started playing and musically communicating with me and the whole thing just like blew up into this absolutely ecstatic experience that everybody will remember. Um, and then a year later, I sat in with him at a rise and a very similar thing happened on stage. And I had somebody come up to us after the show. We were standing there and they said, the masculine and feminine energy united in my spine while you two were playing together. And we kind of just looked at each other like, okay, <laughs> probably worth exploring this then. You know, like, I think that's the ultimate compliment. Yeah, I didn't um, know we were going for that, but now that we're there, Feeling yeah. like the right thing. Okay, that sounds like something the world needs more of. So yeah. let's work on that. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of the beginning of the story, really. Um, you know, fast forward to now, and we have, um, you know, a lovely home and a 15-month-old baby and a kick-ass band that we love to play with. Um, that we've, we've made one full-length record. We're in the process of making a second full-length record. This record is being recorded um, with DSD, so it's a, it's a high-fidelity record. It's kind of an, a very special type of recording that um, people who have that system can enjoy, but also the rest of us can enjoy in, in a more uh, high-def type of way. Um, <clears throat> we've kind of crossed over now into a lot more of my original material. So there's a lot more. Um, the first album is, is all Tiro originals, except for one co-write, I think. Um, but that the first album is all music that Tiro spent, you know, decades of his life curating and perfecting. And this next album has a lot of my kind of wiry, <laughs> you know, gypsy fiddle tunes that who knows where they came from. I just channeled them and poof. And I didn't ever, you know, I never really knew what would happen with them. And then once we started playing the, these tunes, like the whole band just really dropped in and, and made it special. And, and we've cultivated some really, really dope music now that we're working on so um yeah we're working on wrapping that album up and that's kind of that's what we do to keep our keep our you know our souls inspired and and uh and then we have this this beautiful band of really incredible musicians we have a, a drummer who mostly plays like a small percussion rig like a cajon and some bongos just to really give it kind of more of a world feel and then a bass player who's an extremely wonderful upright bass player too so we kind of can go into this more acoustic version of the band and a world-class Nepalese tab tabla player uh, really great so that's <clears throat> you know our band sort of breathes from the duo to the five piece often kind of lives in the trio world and um and that's what we do the Tiro band with Bridget Law and uh 
I couldn't be more proud of that music, honestly. I'm super. Yeah, it's great. I've listened to some of it. It's great. So, you know, we're talking about the the marriage of music and nature. Yeah. And I know we were talking about um, at the beginning about the environment, and I've, I'm curious because I know you feel that musicians should lead by example mm-hmm. when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Can you explain your your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean. Um... Yeah, I think any time that you have the public's ear, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason it is, and and in my situation, it's that they love our music, and they love our music because we've surrendered our egos to making music that feel like it's not ours, but it's like it's basically the universe speaking through us, you know, like that's kind of our you know, and, and, and nature speaking through us and, you know, God, whatever that is speaking through us. Right. And so, um, all the more reason to tap into things that really matter to us all. Um, and nature matters to us all (laughs) nature and resources and those things matter to us all. So, um, more than ever. More than ever. Yes. Uh, so in my opinion, anytime you have any, portion of the public's ear then you're leading by example i mean even if you're just kind of the cool cat in your group of friends and even if you're not even you know you should always lead for by example no matter who you are period <laughs> um if, especially when it's something you are leading in fact i i'll take you are leading by example no matter who you are no matter what your status is no matter what your beliefs are you know um and so yeah i would hope because i love nature and i and i'm hoping that we can really get on the fast track to living in more synergistically with our planet yeah i do my best to reduce waste um and i try not to get it's hard with covid now but i but it was um you know i travel with a to-go container everywhere i go and to-go mug wherever i go i try to not make trash that's the easy one for me i'm, I'm training my baby at 15 months he goes poop in the potty because you know and I, I plan to have him out of diapers by 18 to 20 months because why why so that i can focus on something else and not pay attention to my kid while he poops and pees in his own pants and that I have to throw away. No, thanks. You know? So I, this is, um, there, it's called elimination for communication for all those who want to save diapers out there. It's totally possible to, to potty train your baby early. You know, those kinds of, that's the easy one for me. That's the start. Um, beyond that, getting involved where you can to help shift the legislature to be, you know, um, more climate friendly, I think is a big deal too. Yeah, and that's what we're about at, at Sustain. So I, which is a good way to ask you the question I ask all my guests. Um, I know that you have written songs like Ancient Sea about the health of the oceans. But I ask every guest I have, is there one song that you think of when you want to have a positive connection to nature? And it could be your own song. It could be... Any answer, there's no bad answer here, but just what's the, what's the sort of audio you hear in your head or your go-to when you're just trying to connect with? Well, every, like every question you've had for me today, um, I, the, the, the song, the answer pops into my head right away. So this song that I'm thinking of, I'm just trying, I want to get the name right. It's... <clears throat> Um, it's by Randy Crouch, who's, who's somebody that Bonnie grew up playing music with. Um, and so he's, he's not a very well-known musician outside of, 
uh, the red dirt <laughs> of Oklahoma. But his name is Randy Crouch. And this song is called Hope You Make It to the Mountains. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to read them. Is that okay? Sure. <laughs> They're so beautiful. Everywhere I go, I find folks who really care. They seem to know how to sacrifice and share. They seem to dream of the way the world could be. They've got the means to be absolutely free. So if you're working on your vision, let me give you all a hand with your plan, because I guess that's part of mine. At least I've made my own decision to be moving while I can to a land that may take some help to find. I hope you make it to the mountains. Maybe we all can meet up there before we've poisoned all the water and polluted all the air. Now and love will live together. Just wait and see how this world ends, whenever this world ends. Whatever happens, it's been good to be with friends. On a dome so high and a teepee on the plains, if you're getting by, it's a mansion just the same. Maybe your home is not the kind that you can see, so, so you roam and you stay where you want to be. When you feel it's time to stop, give your weary soul a rest, share my nest, I've been lonely much too long. It's that island on the tropics since that horse ranch in the west. Be my guest to the shelter of the soul. Bridget Law, currently playing with her husband, Tierra Band, with Bridget Law. And for more, check her out on Instagram and Facebook at Fiddlin' Bridget. I'm Charles Coplin, and you have been listening to Songscapes, a production of Sustained Music and Nature.